Now we're done. Good to be with you today and, and be praying for Pastor Jamie and for all of those who are on our trip to Ensenada. There are, I think, 46 of them that are not here today, and usually they're in this service too, so we're missing them today. Uh, pray for them as they're building two different homes, a small one and a larger one for two different sized families, and sharing the Word of Christ in all those different ways that they get to while they're there. So let's be lifting them up in the Lord. Jamie did a wonderful job last week. I wasn't in here. I was downstairs teaching Discover Ebenezer, but I got to watch it online. It was an outstanding standing message, introducing us to Malachi. Malachi is the last of the prophets. Uh, there's a 400-year gap between there and when uh, uh, the Gospels begin. But Malachi wraps up a very precarious situation that the Jewish people found themselves in. As Jamie introduced last week, God starts this by giving his word about his abundant and incredible love for his people. And yet they almost shocked, say, how have you have loved us? <clears throat> so that was a powerful message last week. But what follows are five different things that God says that then they react to with a question. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at those five different statements throughout the book. And today is the first one. So we're going to read that beginning in Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6 in just a minute if you want to turn there. You would think that after what all had happened to the Jewish people, that there would be nobody on planet earth that was more thankful and loving and obedient than they were. You see, for years, God had sent prophets to say, look, you've got to turn from your wickedness. You've got to get back to doing things my way. You've got to get back to the word. You've got to get back to worshiping the way that you should. And yet it was ignored by the people, by the priests, as well as by the kings. And so God sent a great time of great trial uh, both kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom, were both uh, conquered. And the southern kingdom, was all of their leaders were taken away into Babylon. And there they spent a long period of time. Finally, they were allowed to come back. When they're not just allowed to come back, they could rebuild the temple. They could reinstitute worship. And they could live life the way they had always wanted to. So they were thrilled. They were happy. And you would think after that kind of deliverance, and God had made that possible, that they would be so overjoyed, that they would be so obedient, they would be so filled with love and thanksgiving, that they would follow the ways of God. And it just didn't happen. Not at, not, not at all. They, they went back to the old ways. And not just the people, but the priests themselves had fallen. Priests themselves had, had gotten away from the Word of God and gotten away of genuine, from genuine worship. And because of that, Malachi is called up as a prophet. And God gives him words of great accusation. Now, what we're going to read today is primarily focused towards the priests. But as the priests go, so do the people. And so though this is directed towards the priest, it had its applications among the people as well. So we're going to read beginning in verse 6. If you take your Bibles and stand with me, please. We're going to read from Malachi chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. And though our message today will go all the way through the second chapter and the 10th verse, we're just going to read just a few verses here to get started this morning. Malachi chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Now, that's an old proverb. But if I then am the father, where is my honor? If I am the master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? 
Now, there's the, the first big warning that comes out. They're despising the name of God. Yet you say, in, 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 in what ways have we despised your name? You can only feign that kind of ignorance so long, folks. God says, you offer defiled food on my altar. But you say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is that not evil? Offer that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar? I have no pleasure with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you who have hovered over Malachi as he received these words and had him to pen them, we get to hear them today, fresh from your lips. Because they apply today, they apply to our, our pastors, they apply to our churches, they apply to us as members. So we want to open our heart to you, Holy Spirit, that you can speak to us and that you can have your way in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. The greatest and most significant thing that God ever did in my life was to save my soul from hell. If anyone deserved to spend eternity apart from God, it was me. But by his grace and his mercy, he drew me to himself. He used a cousin, a tiny little church, and even my profane mouth and cussing to get me to where I could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I heard that from that very first time, Holy Spirit pierced my heart convicted me of my sins, showed me that Christ died on the cross to take my place and to take the, the, the debt that I owed upon himself, and that he rose again on the third day that I can have his very life within me. When I heard that, I didn't understand it, but I knew in my heart this is something I need to have. So I surrendered myself to him, and the greatest day of my life happened that day. I have to tell you this, that the second greatest thing that happened was not too terribly long after that when he put his calling on my life to be a minister of his presence. Again, if anybody was unworthy of that, it was me. I did not have the privilege of growing up in church like a lot of you did and being in Sunday school and vacation Bible school and knowing all the, the wonderful Bible stories that went on. I didn't have any of that. Why would he want me? Why would he, he call me? I'm, I'm totally unworthy, totally unprepared for this. That's all right. He had his plans together. I'll never forget the first day I went into my Sunday school class, which was the week after I was saved. The pastor said, be in this room at such and such time. I said, yes, sir, and I was. See, I didn't know what you knew, that you're not supposed to pay any attention to the pastor. I thought you were supposed to listen to him and obey him, you know. So anyway, another sermon. So I was there, and the teacher was there before me. Can I say that again? The teacher was there before me. Any teachers in here? Okay, just one. That's another sermon too. All right, the teacher was there before I was and was writing on the board Born again. I thought that was the silliest thing I'd ever read. And, and I told him so because I'm not shy. All right? 
I told him so. He said, oh, no, son, that's what happened to you last week. Really? He said, yeah, that's what the Bible says happened when you come to faith in him that you're born again. I mean, I, really, I didn't know if David killed Goliath or Goliath killed David. I had no idea. All right? I had none, none of that. And yet God called upon me to be a minister of his presence. When he did, I just surrendered all I knew of me to all of him that I knew. And, and I have been doing this for over half a century now. And the love of my life is caring for the flock that God has put under my care. And it, there's nothing has thrilled me more than that. That is a part of who I am. But can I say that that has not been true for all of those I've associated with over the years? I've known many people who claim that they've been called to be a pastor who aren't worth their salt. That for them it's a job. That they go clock in and they clock out. They're in it for the power, the prestige, the position. Not many of them are in it for the money. There ain't a whole lot of money to be made out there with that, I want you to know. But you could tell because they, they would check out. It concerns me some of the younger generation. Now, my wife and I have, have three marvelous sons. They're all three in ministry. And they all three have an excellent work ethic. But it concerns me those that are younger still, that are just coming out of our college and seminaries now, that they, they, they say to their congregations, I'm going to put in my 40 hours and I'm going to go home, then you leave me alone. You know, when God put a calling on my life, it was to shepherd the sheep and if the sheep needed me at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was going to be there at 3 o'clock in the morning. Because it was not a job, it was a calling. It was a passion. It was the love of my life. I had to guard against that because there was a time, even when I was in my youngest days here as your pastor, that I was, I was spending more time with you than I was with my family. And that's something I had to pay attention to. God didn't want that to happen either. But it concerns me when we put our calling in a box and say, God, here's all I'm going to do. That's not a calling. That's a job. I've went behind a lot of pastors who have not protected the flock. They've persecuted the flock and led the flock of God away. When I left here after 13 and a half years of, of, of loving you folks, I went to a church that I knew was in big trouble. And Larry and I knew that before we left. The pastor who had been there for 10 years had spent nine of those years having an illicit affair with a lady on staff. And I knew that. I knew it was going to be hard. But the calling of God was to go. And so we had to leave here and we had to go. What I didn't get, understand at the time was when the head of the church, the spiritual head of the church, the pastor, who covers you, by the way, with his prayers and with his lifestyle, when he's rotten, that rottenness permeates all the way down into the congregation. I had no idea how many people in the congregation were themselves guilty of sexual sin. It permeated the church because it permeated the life of the pastor. 
who you have over you is of incredible importance because they, they provide a spiritual protection and barrier. Now, it's not impermeable, but that's part of that role. As they're walking in godliness and holiness before the Lord, that protects those underneath them in many, many spiritual ways. You'll never know. Of the six people that were on the committee that called me as their pastor, three of them were engaged in illicit sexual sin. One spent time in prison for molesting a young boy. Two of them left their spouses to run off with someone else. Leaders in the church, small group leaders and others. I went to the home of a man who who had died and his wife called me. I came over there right away. She said, I haven't gone back there in the bedroom yet. But when I went back there with the paramedics who came, he was sitting at his desk, slumped over his printer, and it was spitting out pornography that he was downloading and printing. This is the world I walked into when I left from here. It had to be a calling. A lot of times I said, Lord, what have I done? (laughs) It took four-plus years for that church to begin to turn. I'll tell you something. In the first year, we added 150 new members to the class, to the church. That's tremendous. In that same year, we lost 150. That's called blessed subtraction, by the way. They could not tolerate the Word of God. See, they had not, the Word of God had not been preached over them. The pastor wanted them to feel good about being in church that day. So he never read the Bible over them, never led them towards revival and personal accountability before God. And for four, four and a half years, the life was nearly sucked out of Larry and I as we sought to bring this church back onto the rock of Jesus Christ. I'd love to tell you that was the only pastor I've known that had gone astray. But there have been far too many. Listen, why is this important? Not just because somebody has got an REV in front of their name doesn't mean you need to give them your allegiance. Just because they have a podcast doesn't mean you have to follow it. Just because they've got a following of thousands doesn't mean there's any good idea for you to pay attention to what they're saying. You need to be just like the Bereans in Paul's day when he went there and he preached. And what did they do? They sought the Scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Don't you ever take something Fred Lodge says as gospel. You check it in the gospel. And you do that for every man of God. A man of God has to walk tight with Christ before he can lead others to do the same thing. Because a congregation is not going to go beyond where their pastor is spiritually. And this is what we see going on right here in Malachi. The priests had become so apathetic, so ungodly, that they were leading the congregation to be just as apathetic and just as ungodly as they were. And so God, through his prophet, the last prophet he called up before the Messiah came, he thundered into their lives the truth of the word. And he started right there with the priests. 
Jeremiah calls these folks false shepherds. Let me just read this over you from Jeremiah 23. Woe to you shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed the people, you have scattered my flock, you have driven them away, you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil you are doing. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where they have driven away, and I'll bring them back to their foals, and they shall be fruitful and increase, and I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. They will never be lacking, says the Lord. You kind of get the idea that God was miffed about that? And Jeremiah is long before Malachi. You would think that of all people, Israel, would have walked in obedience and in God's grace. You would think that Americans, after having been blessed with the freedoms, especially the freedom of faith, to walk and follow in obedience and holiness, but we don't see that, do we? We can be just as apathetic as those we're reading about here today. Today, authentic pastors must ever be on their alert for the wolves dressed in sheep's clothing that threaten the flock of God. Folks, this is why it's so important to Pastor Jamie and and Pastor Kevin and I, Pastor Crosby, to Timothy, that the things you read, the things you study in your small groups, the things that are there, even in our music, it stands the test of the Word of God. And that's why sometimes we have to say, no, that's not a good book to study. Or that's not a song that's appropriate, and here's why. And we do that, and we care about that for the love of the flock, not trying to exercise power over you, but this is one way we can show concern and love and care in what you allow into your spirit. That's our role. That's our calling. We want you to understand that. So what is it God so upset about? What what was he that through Malachi he was thundering over Israel? What what had the priest done so wrong? Take your notes and let's jot down a couple of things. First of all, they despised God's name and held his altar in contempt. They despised God's name and held his altar in contempt. Eight times in these few verses here, we we, we see the referring to God's name, my name. And that doesn't just mean the name Yahweh. It means his character, his holiness, his being. It was all being assaulted by what was going on. The priests that were supposed to honor God's name and obey God's word were setting a horrible example for the flock. They were supposed to be God's children, but they weren't giving him the honor that a father was due. They were supposed to to be his servants, but they weren't giving him the reverence that he was due. How is it that happened? And they say, us? Us defiling your name? You can only pretend that innocence with some people. You sure can't pretend it with God. So God gave them this illustration. This is in your notes. Some of the others not. To begin this, they were offering defiled sacrifices on the altar. That's verses 6 through 14. What am I talking about, defiled sacrifices? Well, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, God spells out that when you bring me an offering, 
It's got to be your best. It's got to be your best. If it's, if, if it's a little turtle dove, it can't have a broken wing. If it's a lamb, it can't be sick or diseased. Whatever it is that you bring me as an offering, it needs to reflect your best. It needs to reflect your best. And they didn't know it at the time, but the reason that was so important was because God was bringing a sacrifice. God was bringing a, a, a holy lamb without any blemish, without any defect, his very own son that was going to die on the cross to take my sins and yours upon himself and rose again the third day that we could have his life. God was preparing that. And all of those sacrifices throughout the years were symbolic of what was going to come, the perfect Lamb of God in Jesus Christ. But they were bringing this, the, these, these animals and bulls and calves and all the rest of that that were dying anyway. And say, well, if they're going to die anyway. Let God have them. Bringing them, God, the least, not the best of what they had. Now, now, part of the role of the priest is to examine these offerings, whatever they are, as they come to be brought. The, the meal offerings of oats or barley or whatever, they couldn't be soured and rancid. They had to be fresh. But one of the, role, the, the, the roles of the priest was to examine the offerings and be sure they were the best that could be offered and not some trash. Do you give God your best? Or do you give him what's left over? Do you give him the best of your time, the best of your abilities, the best of your monies? Or do you give him what's left over? One family didn't come to church very often and had a little boy, and so they came one particular day, and and they they sat through the singing and the preaching and everything, and then that church, the offering was made at the end of the service, and so the offering came back and came by. Daddy took out a dollar bill and put it in there and passed it on down the plate. And then they got in the car, and he was driving home, and they were complaining about the music was too loud, and it wasn't the songs that they liked, and the preacher got too loud, and it wasn't what they wanted to hear, and so on. And then the little boy piped up from the back seat, and he said, Well, I thought it was a pretty good show for a buck. Can I say that even in your preaching you get what you pay for? Everything we give to God is a reflection of our heart. Everything we give to God is a reflection of our heart. And so when you give God the leftovers, when you give Him what you don't want anyway, that reflects your heart. And when you give Him your best, whatever that looks like, that reflects your heart. Jesus was sitting in the temple one day with his disciples, and he was sitting right across from a place in the wall that had a metal horn in it, and the horn came down like a funnel and then behind the wall into a, an offering plate. And people would come by, and they'd put their offering in there. And you see, most of them were coins, silver and gold coins. So when they put them in there, they'd make noise. As they're going down in there. And they were sitting over here, and, and Jesus was watching people give. Can I say that again? Jesus was watching people give. 
And this elderly woman came, and she had two little coins, the smallest coins there were, called the widow's mites. And she dropped them in, and they hardly made a sound. But you know what Jesus said? He said, that woman has given more than anybody else who gave anything in the offering today. Because he saw her heart. And that she gave out of a heart full of love and thanksgiving unto God. Let me tell you this. Jesus still sits today and watches the offering. Does it reflect the heart? And so... God says through Malachi, he said, would you take these lame and diseased animals and take them to the governor and offer that to him? Of course you wouldn't. And if you'd have that kind of respect and honor for a man, how are you reflecting God Almighty? Because it reflects your heart. And God wants us to give of our very best. And it may be meager like the widow's mites, but out of a heart, out of love. The priests were allowing that. They stood there, and if, if they saw an animal that was sick or lame or whatever the case may be, they would have to reject it and say, no, that's not your best. Go back to your flock and get your best. That's not the best of the doves. Go back and get the best. God wants your best, but they weren't doing that. And by not disciplining God's people according to the word, they were defiling the people as well as God himself. Listen to me. One of the roles of the pastor today is to oversee the flock and have the guts to speak into your lives if you're wandering away from the Lord. It's out of love and the deepest heartache when a pastor has to come to you and confront you about sin in your life. But if he doesn't do that, he's defiling the Word of God and he's hurting you. The time of, of what we would today call church discipline way precedes the church and goes way back into the days of the priests. And the priests were called on, keep the people honest before me. That they could walk in integrity. Don't let them offer me the junk that's left over. But out of a heart of love and thanksgiving, offer me the best that they possibly can. This was the first thing they were allowing. The second thing that they were allowing was they were allowing the people to cheat on their vows. Now, vows were not something that were required. That makes a promise before God, by the way. A vow is, God, I stand before you as my witness, and I promise so-and-so. That's a vow. Vows were not required, okay? But once a vow was made, it had to be kept. And that, again, was one of the roles of the priest, to see to it when a vow was made that it was kept. So if a man says, God, I give you my whole life today, and I'm going to follow you with everything, and that always comes with a sacrifice, 
and they bring in some scrawny, deformed animal to put on the altar. That's not their best. That's not worthy of the vow they made. And so the priest was to call their hand at that. But they weren't. And you say, well, Brother Fred, why? I said, well, let me tell you why. The priest didn't earn money. The priest were allowed to take from the offerings made for their food. And times were hard in Israel. So in order to be sure their bellies were full, they would take whatever is offered, even if God despised it. You see? All the wrong motives. All the wrong motives. And so here's what I want you to see out of this. Write this down in your notes. It's at the bottom at the bottom of number one. Here we see worship defiled. Worship defiled. Second thing Malachi puts attention to is in the first few verses of chapter two. They despised their high calling and held his glory in contempt. The priests despised their high calling and held God's glory in contempt. How do you see that? How how do you see that going on? Well, here's how. The priests were just going through the motions. They were just having religious ritual. There was no heart. There was no soul in what they were doing. It was just perfunctory. There was no joy. And here's what was happening. They were seeing their role as a job and not as a calling. They were seeing their, their being a priest just as a job. Check in, check out, and not a calling. Not something you invest your heart and your life into. Can I stop to say something Something amazing happened with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the formation of the church. Because part of what Jesus did is he deputized every person who would ever believe in him as a Savior and as their Lord to be his priests. In the Baptist church, we believe in something that's called the priesthood of the believer. And part of what that means is that you are a priest before God. And these words do focus on us because we are his priests. We are those who stand between the lost world and holy God and pull these two together. God God warned them. He, He warned them about this through his prophets over and over and over again. And finally here in Malachi, he said, I've had enough. When the offerings were brought, even the defiled ones, and they were, they were burned and such, the, the entrails, um, the, the carcass, the dung was all taken up and taken out of the city and put in a particular place and burned. And it was just a sludge, a smut-like sludge met, left. And God said this, You have treated me with such disrespect. I'm going to take this 
and rub your face in it. You've treated me with dishonor. I will treat you like garbage. Think God was upset? Yeah. He does not take lightly when his priests hold him in contempt. So what do you see here? This note under number two. Here we see honor denied. Honor denied. God's honor was denied. And finally, in chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, we see they despised God's word and held his law in contempt. They despised his word and they held his law in contempt. They had, the priests themselves had turned away from God. They were, they were not in the word of God. They were not saturating their lives in the word of God. They were just going through the motions of church. Can you hear my heart? That's one of the most dangerous things that you can do, that we can do. Is to think that coming to church somehow checks off a box with God in heaven that we've done our duty. God wants us in his word every day. He wants that word to be in our heart. To it governs the way we walk and the way we talk and the way we interact with people. To where that Law is written on our hearts, and it's expressed out through our lives. This is his desire. But if you are never in the Word of God, if you're never reading it for yourself, you are causing yourself to be anemic, powerless, and ill-prepared for the world that's out here. They weren't in the Word, and so guess what? Their people weren't. The synagogues were empty. (laughs) Nobody came to synagogue because nobody wanted to hear the Word. Why? The priests that would read it, the rabbis that would read it, didn't believe it and didn't do it. Rare would be the church that goes beyond where the pastor will go. A church will never go further than their pastor is willing to go. If a pastor is not a praying pastor, he's not going to have a praying church. If a pastor is not a giving pastor, he's not going to have a giving church. If a pastor is not an evangelic pastor, he's not going to have an evangelical church. If a pastor is not a disciple himself, he's not going to have a church filled with disciples because the church won't go beyond where the pastor goes. And that's why it's imperative to have a man of God who's in love with Jesus and in love with his people to stand in this pulpit week after week after week. And we've got one. Got several of them, as a matter of fact. People who love you and will love you enough to get right up in your face if necessary and say, thus saith I want you to know that a false minister is a powerful weapon in the hands of Satan. Too many churches I know 
have suffered and are suffering because of worthless people in the pulpit. My sons have all three been on staff with people like that. And they have the scars like their daddy does to show for it. Michael, who knows no color, he's had friends of every shape and color you can imagine all his life long, was pastoring a church down below Atlanta. I was a youth minister at a church below Atlanta. And the church youth group of about 20 had grown to about 80. They were pushing out the, the walls at that point, and, and there were white and black and Hispanic and Oriental. They was all in there. Michael was loving it. And the pastor came to him one day and said, Michael, you're doing a good job. But I need you to just go after our kind of people. He said, what do you mean our kind of people? He said, you know, our kind of people. And he resigned, and he went to another church. You know what God's kind of people are? Lost people. That's God's kind of people. And that's the only kind Michael knows how to go after. And that's why the church he's at now, as a lead pastor, this morning will have 800 people hungry for the word and hungry to see other people come to faith in Christ. Honoring the Lord starts here and filters out here. And so, what, what do I need to do with this this morning, Brother Fred? Tell, tell me, how do I need to put a bow on this? How do I need to deal with this? Okay, listen very, very carefully. Oh, by the way, you've got one more blank to fill in. And if I don't fill this in, somebody's going to come up. And, anyway, the last one. <laughs> it's my fault, all right? The last one is we see obedience disregarded. Obedience disregarded. So, so, so what are we supposed to do today? How do we respond to this, Brother Fred? Well, here's what I, I want to call you to do. We're going to do this in a few minutes. I'm calling on you to pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. We're going to be doing that in just a few minutes. And as you pray for them, Commit in your heart to follow them as they follow Jesus Christ. Pray for them and follow them as they follow hard after Jesus Christ. But right behind that, check up on them. Hold them accountable to the Word of God. Never accept anything Pastor Jamie says just because Pastor Jamie said it. Where's it in the Word? Show me in the Word. And that's okay. I, I ask you, I beg you to do that to me. Do that to your pastors. Love them, pray for them, follow them, but hold them accountable. Because our church will never go further than our pastors willing to take us. So I want us to pray for them. I'm going to ask Josiah to come up and just play softly. But I want you and I to end our service today. Sometimes we ask people to come and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. I'm here to talk to you if you'd like to do that. Others to come and get rededicate their lives to Christ. I'm right here.
Pastor Kevin's right here. But today the call right out of the word of God is to pray for the women, men and women who lead us, who are those that God has called and we have affirmed as the leaders in our church family. So I want to ask you, if you will, to stand, to bow your heads, and let's pray. Father, today, I thank you for the body of Christ here at Ebenezer. The joy of my heart to be here. And as we come together in, in, in one accord, in one heart, in one mind, we want to lift up Pastor Jamie, our lead pastor, before you. That, Father, you would so fill him with your presence. And so give him your vision for us. That that joy will just be so incredibly attractive and it'll, it'll, it'll stick right on us. Father, we pray that you'll keep him immersed in your word. Growing in his love for you every day. And that love and that joy and confidence in you will exude over us. We pray for Pastor Kevin, our discipleship pastor, whose heart is for us to know the great discipler, Jesus Christ, and to follow after you, Lord. And as he, as he comes up with ways for us individually and collectively, to grow in our discipleship. Lord, bless him. Give him vision and give him anointing and give him everything he needs for what you've called him to be and do. We pray for Pastor Crosby and his incredible love for teenagers, for youth. And Lord, I thank you for the way he pours his life out in the Christian Learning Center and in our, our middle school and in our, our high school and on various other campuses in our community. And it's not because he has to, it's because we can't stop him. His heart beats for teenagers come to faith in you and grow. God, we pray for Timothy, such a precious heart who loves our children. That kids from all over this county he can't go to Walmart without these kids running up to him. Mr. Timothy, Mr. Timothy. Because they know he loves them. And he wants them to know Jesus. God bless him. Anoint him. Empower him. We pray for Will, our pastor in Nicaragua. In such uncertain times and in such difficult ways that you would give him unusual anointing power and grace to not just preach but live your word God there are others here that though they hadn't got a reverend in front of their name they, they likewise minister your grace to us we, we thank you for Caleb for all his incredible administrative skills thank you for his heart of worship that that's not a job that's a joy Thank you for Shannon, Ministry Operations Director, and how she's got her hands in a 
think everything that happens in our church and with love and grace and, and quiet, incredible integrity, she leads. Lord, I thank you for Deborah and how she manages the, 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 the vast financial affects that we've got here. Money is going all the way around the world to support missions and caring for ministries right here in our doorsteps. But for her sweetheart, her precious spirit. Lord, we lift up Erin before you, our ministry assistant for Next Gen, and she, is, she has such a heart for you and such a joy, especially in serving these young ladies. God, I thank you for Jack, our business ministry intern, who's, who's learning so much about from Caleb, and Lord, just the joy of being popped to him. God, I thank you for Josiah. Even now at the keyboard, setting an atmosphere of worship. Thank you for his heart, for his passion for you, his love for family. God, I just want to thank you for Dave and Stephen and all of those who work with our media, our technicians that we never get to see because they're back in the back, but they make the sound and the lights of the media and everything happen. God, we ask blessings to be upon them for being such quiet servants. And Lord, least of all for me as Pastor Emeritus here for the privilege of loving your people and serving here. God, I pray that the passion you put in my heart will be inescapable those that I get to encounter. Lord, we're your church. We're your people. And we know that you'll never take our church further than you take our ministers. So God is one of them. I just say, take us to the far ends of the earth, to Ensenada, Mexico, to Italy, to Nicaragua, up to Kentucky, hopefully one day into New York all the places that you're putting on our heart that we can take your love and your grace and make it practical and lived out in front of people's lives. And may this be so contagious to our congregation that we can't help but love and follow you like our leaders do. Thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ known as Ebenezer name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, do we pray. Amen.